Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. Uh, today, we're having a special episode. Uh, Micah and I are going to be discussing the um, docuseries on Discovery Plus called Hillsong Exposed. I'm sure most of you who are listening, if you grew up in the church, you probably have sang a Hillsong song before. You've actually have heard it on Christian radio or heard it at a Christian conference or youth camp or whatever the case. Uh, Hillsong has been so synonymous with music. And today we're going to kind of look in depth at the Hillsong organization. So uh, first, Micah, what were some of your thoughts on just this docuseries in general? Well, to be honest, uh, well, thanks for having me as always. Um, I, I've i always been familiar as a worship pastor, creative arts pastor, worship leader with Hillsong Worship and Hillsong Music, and I've always loved their product and their brand, um, their songs and their ability to just keep on writing and to keep on producing new music all the time and just stuff that, you know, trends and resonates with worship leaders all over the world. Um, not even associated with Hillsong Church, just their music. Um, and I really, I mean, let's let's be real. Every church has its problems, and mega churches are, I believe, more susceptible susceptible to having those issues because they're bigger and they don't have, you know, everyday interaction with folks. Like somebody could have a problem with somebody else that you may not even know or have never met, and it's in the same church or on the same staff. Uh, or on the same leadership team. So um, when I watched this, uh, it was very sobering and it was very eye-opening for me. And um, I mean, we'll get into it in a little bit, but like there were some triggers in there for me. There was a lot of like emotional um, moments where um, in my own ministry where I've uh, had struggles with leadership, had struggles with uh, other staff members, had struggles with people in larger settings. You and I have talked about church sizes. Um, I've worked in larger churches, but nowhere near the size of Hillsong Church. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was just very, very, I think the word for me for this is going to be sobering because it was just, yeah, that stuff does happen. I mean, it mm-hmm. really does, regardless yeah. of the size of church, but yeah, it, it, it happens. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I kind of my thoughts going into this, it's like, you know, last fall, I got to listen to the Christianity Today, um, you know, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and got to listen to all of that. And it was it was interesting and eye opening. And you kind of knew um, Mars Hill had its issues, uh, particularly with, you know, with Mark Driscoll kind of being the front and center of everything. Um but I felt like this one was a bit different because it really kind of not really not focused on like one particular person, but there was a bunch of key players in this and, and kind of just looking at the entire organization, which I thought was, which I thought was fascinating. So when we look at kind of, so at the opening of this, and we're again, for everybody who's listening, we're just talking about episode one right now. So if you have not watched it or if you're planning on watching it, you know, stop right here. Don't go any further because we will probably be spoiling a bunch, but we're just going to be focusing on this episode, talking about the first episode um, of this three-part series, um, Hillsong Exposed. So what were some of your thoughts on the origins of Hillsong, how it started, kind of the creation of it? Um, 
this is where we get introduced to not only Frank Houston, but also Brian Houston and kind of this, um, you know, kind of their church planting in Australia and New Zealand and even kind of Brian's trip to um, America. Yeah. Um, you know, other than like we think with with like Joe Olstein, right? For example, like in the United States, being like that first real, um, I guess the words televangelist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that was kind of like the Houston's approach with Hillsong. They wanted to be um, really just seen on a larger scale than what they were, and um, they, I think, I I don't know, maybe you know more about this than I do, Scott, but like. I think of Joe Olstein in America um, being that person who you see on TV all the time, being that televangelist preaching and teaching and you'll know, see him on TV. Um, and that was before live streaming and every single church became a real thing, right? You would turn on the TV and then my grandmother used to watch, uh, man, I don't remember his name, but he's still on uh, TV and his name will come to me, but she watches him all the time. And, um, but anyway, uh, I feel like the Houston's approach with Hillsong was like that, but like internationally for us being in the United States, being in Australia, they wanted to like basically do that in Australia and then around the world. And mm-hmm. um, you uh, not, not that we're going to, you know, watch or not watch, but cover all three episodes today. But like in every episode, there was one of the people that they interviewed and she was like, um, they're not going to get what they want until they conquer the whole earth. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Do you remember that where she was like, yeah, their whole goal was to conquer, to bring heaven to earth. And they're not going to do that until they conquer the entire earth or something like that. Yeah. Um, I'm paraphrasing of course, but like the, it very much feel feels like that's what they wanted to do with their approach. I mean, even early on. Yeah. And I, and I would agree with that statement. I would say that, you know, from going from, especially just, in the contents of the first episode, you see uh, Frank Houston in New Zealand, big like hellfire brimstone preacher, which that was kind of the that was kind of the culture back in like the 50s and 60s to starting to kind of build churches here in Australia. And then Brian had his own church. And I think, you know, Brian's kind of thinking, you know, I want to see expansion. I don't necessarily and I think at the beginning, kind of the impression I got wasn't like. I want to take over the world, you know, to be the biggest church in the world. But I think it, it was more of a more of a sincere cause of, hey, let's go around the world. Let's plant churches and let's get people to know Jesus Christ. I think that was kind of the foundation. And there was something later in this episode where someone's like, you know, I think at the core of everything, it was really trying to get people to know Jesus. Like, I think that was foundationally, that was it. It just seemed like over time, the methodology of how to do that started to shift and change. And I think um, a lot of that happened when Brian went to America. And again, like yeah. the, the well, we're going to call it Hillsong Church, but what they were called beforehand, um, you know, Brian goes over to America. And again, they're associated with the Assemblies of God. So very charismatic, very um, Pentecostal, Pentecostal. And he's seeing kind of this prosperity gospel, this uber uh, uber charismatic um doing all these things and 
people are like kind of throwing money at these pastors and you're kind of getting a lot of money. And I think for Brian, he's thinking, oh, I can do this. Like that was kind of one of the quotes. It's like, oh, I can do this. Like not from him, but from someone who worked at Hillsong, like, oh, I can actually do this. And I think that kind of started to set the motion almost in the wrong direction. Like, I guess in the right and wrong direction, because again, if you're getting, if you're using this methodology to kind of get people to give you funds, so then you can have global expansion, that's going to work. But at the same time, there does come a cost. There's that ugly side of the coin where things can get very, um, very um, evil in some ways. Well, I think too, um, like they, <clears throat> I think that they, they started out with a good intentions mm-hmm. and they really wanted to like plant churches all over the world and, and, and see the gospel expand and, and, and their country and surrounding countries. And then obviously around the world, but like, uh, I don't know, Scott, something about money and power that just and greed that just does something to your spirit. And it does something to the way that you act and respond to things. And it just feels like that went to their head. Mm-hmm. I mean, just from a, from a viewer's perspective, I mean, I don't know anything about Hillsong. I mean, I know about Hillsong, but like, I'm, I've never worked there. I've never volunteered there. I've never been to one of their campuses, but you know, I, from the outside looking in, it just seems like it just all they cared about was their brand. All they cared about was the money. All they cared about was, you know, what was their next big thing that they were going to accomplish. And, and I think there's a big difference in, um, growing and, and, and expanding the kingdom of God and, planning your next church and mm-hmm. growing your next church to 2000 people and releasing your next record. And what country can I get into? Like, it, it just becomes very evident that your priorities have, have shifted and, mm-hmm. and noticeably it's, it's unhealthy. It's just not healthy to see um, people respond to those things. And um you, you know, working in churches and you've worked in churches, obviously, like you can just see the shift in people mm-hmm. for, for the, for the good or for the bad. And specifically with Hillsong, you know, I, you could just see kind of the downfall, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Right. I yeah. mean, it, it just seems like they had this global empire and they were raking on all this cash. I mean, in the first episode alone, they were talking about how Hillsong worship alone, which I mean, I want to ask this question a little bit later, but like, um, I think it was, they've made $15 million in just Hillsong records. Like Hillsong worship has made 15 million or I'm sorry, sold 15 million albums records worldwide. And they've, they rake in over a hundred million dollars a year and just Hillsong worship. Yeah. That's insane. Oh yeah. hundred million dollars. Yeah. Most churches don't even have a million dollar budget, let alone raking in a hundred million dollars of net revenue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely dive into that. Um, so so you, we see Brian kind of come back from America. Then he kind of preaches his famous message, you know, the church that I see, which kind of becomes kind of the the, the pinpoint of his the global expansion needs that it becomes the linchpin or the hitch for his global expansion. So just kind of listening again, we don't hear the full message. We only hear like bits and pieces and we can read a couple things that were on the screen. So what were some of your thoughts on this, the church that I see a uh, message that Brian communicates to his congregation? Um, it seemed like, you know, it was almost like a, I've done some marketing. I don't have a, 
a degree in marketing or anything, but it almost seemed like this is just a way for him to get a hook, you know, like in the early days of marketing churches. Like, how can I hook my church? How can I hook this ministry? And this is the church that I see. And like, yeah, as a pastor, you can have a vision, but at the same time, how, uh, you know, relevant is that vision going to be to your church? Do you, is it going to like, is it going to, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like, you know, if you, if you're a pastor, Scott, which you've been one, I've been one. If you have a vision for your team, for your ministry, like you can tell them, but like, I don't think you need to keep harping on that. Right. And it just seems like from the documentary perspective, again, I don't really, I've watched a few of, of Hillsong's like messages and Brian's messages before all this went down. Um, but like, he doesn't preach that every single Sunday, but you know, I think it was more of a method to grow his church and grow the ministry of Hillsong and just try to like get people roped in. Um, I guess it's like prosperity gospel, like on a twist, right? Because they, he just kind of, you know, what I'm trying to say like he, he flipped, uh, you know, flipped the narrative to, to make people feel good about it and um, want to be a part. And it, mm-hmm. it's very manipulative, I guess, in my opinion, like he, you know, we talk a lot about feel good stuff with, you know, preaching and teaching and not really getting into the meat of the gospel of Jesus. And it's some of these, um, some would argue that these larger mega churches have got to be the size that they are because of the feel good kind of messages and the feel good kind of, um, Mm -hmm. the feel good kind of environment that these churches, you know, project. Right. So like, if this is uh, Scott uh, Scott Stedman Church of the the Cross, like our mission is to make you feel good, mm-hmm. and like that's the hook, and that's it. You don't really talk about Jesus or salvation or sanctification or holiness or anything like that. It's it's just that you need to feel good. Well, yes, you need to feel good. You need to feel good, but you need to feel good about Jesus. You need to feel good about your relationship with Jesus. So, like when Brian. Houston's preaching about this is the church that I see great but what does that do for your relationship with Jesus and your relationships with others Um, yeah and I think I think that's that's a good point because when we think about church growth or church dynamics and especially when you're doing whatever your big project is whether you're doing a capital fund to build an addition to your church or you want to start doing church plants you have to pitch it to your congregation in such a way that they're going to buy into it. And even just, you know, listening to the small sampling that Brian says, you know, it was these big things, but even there was a part where, you know, he even wanted to plant a church in America and he says it. And he even mentioned, I think there's a part a quote where he says, and I just don't know how I'm going to do it. It just, I just seem like it's just so small and so out of reach, but yet that's a desire that, you know, I would like us to try to do. So it's almost kind of like, Here's this big grand vision. And sometimes with big visions, either two things are going to happen. Either you're going to have people who are going to buy into it and they're going to support it, whether it's with their money, whether it's with their time, or people are going to be completely scared. And I think when you say, yeah, this is a big dream, I don't know how I'm going to, how we're going to pull it off, but I feel like this is what God has laid on my heart. Then people can say, okay, well, the pastor's kind of scared too. So 
let's support the pastor. Let's pray. So I think what it does is it kind of unifies the, the, yeah, let's go get them to, Ooh, I don't know about this. You kind of unite them saying, okay, let's go, let's move. Let's try to do this. And, and I think at the beginning, when this message was proclaimed, I think, honestly, I don't know if Brian knew how this was all going to happen. Um, and I think when we start seeing the introduction to the Hillsong band and the Hillsong music, and especially um, Darlene, uh, oh, how do I say her last name? Darlene Check. Zesik? Zesik? Check. It's Czech. Czech. It's Czech, even though it's, okay. Yeah, Darlene Czech. It's, it's and, spelled like D-Z-E. SCH or something like that, but it's yeah. Darlene, Darlene Check. Yep. Yeah. Shout Darlene, to the Lord. Yeah. Darlene Check. And oh, yeah. Man, that was my jam back in the day. Shout to the Lord. That was that was what brought her to the dance. That was really, oh, yeah. one of the one of the very first things that really, you know, hit, you know, Hillsong, you know, was one but of the her just hits. Yeah. But just her being in Hillsong and her understanding kind of the music culture, like the secular music culture, really elevated not only the type of music that Hillsong produced, but I think just that, that's kind of got the, like we talked about earlier, the financial end for Brian to say, okay, here's how we're going to make this, the church that I see, here's how we're going to make it a reality. And it's going to kind of ride on, and we'll talk about that more in depth, but Hillsong music. Um, do, so, you, yeah. do you think it was always that bad, Scott? Or do you think it was like early on they had good intentions? And I think like they had the good music intentions. Was really powerful, I, I, and and things were going great. And then you know they really grew, and then they really got a lot of money and a lot of endorsements. And then it's like, well, it got to our, it went to our heads. And I, that's I kind think, of how I you know where I lean. I think I think I mean I think like with every church that starts small and gets big, I think there's always good intentions, but I think there's always something like. It's it's a difference between like if if I happen to get like for example if I get a TV endorsement deal, and let's just say it's a local TV endorsement deal like um like I know in Columbus Timothy Clark um Timothy Clark's church will be on the airwaves so you know it's like okay but I mean and I think that can kind of change you a little bit when you have just local airtime but then when you're on TBN. And when you're on a, and this is before streaming. So when you're on TBN and your church is now being broadcast on cable television, then I think that will change you because there's always certain things that expectations, there's certain expectations that kind of drive you to kind of stay on top or kind of keep those endorsements or those deals. And I think sometimes, and it's sad to say that even within the church, depending on the endorsement and who's endorsing you sometimes there are certain things that can kind of cause the target to be blurried um the goals you're trying to reach um looking at so we're kind of focused mostly on like brian and frank houston at the beginning but then we see another i guess we'll call it a character another person in the mix and this is uh carl lentz who ended up being kind of the 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 North, I guess, we'd say the United States pastor. So did, did you know Carl Lentz before this documentary? And what was your impression of him as a pastor and even kind of being used as a figurehead for the U.S. expansion? Um, I had not heard of him uh, up until, like, I mean, I had heard the name, but I never really listened to him preach. And I never, you know, until he got in trouble, right? Until the yeah. whole, 
Yeah. Right? Like I didn't, you know, I'd heard the name and like you told, we talked about before we started recording, I saw the picture of him with Justin Bieber. And I think there was something in the news about possible scandals or uh, not even the scandals, but maybe some of the stuff he was wearing. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but like um, his choice of fashion, his choice of the people that he hung out with and the, the choices he made as far as, um, you know, what he did, who he hung out and what he wore. Basically, like some, I saw some stuff in the news about that and maybe on some social media, but um, I really didn't know much about him. I thought when watching the documentary that, like, he seemed like an arrogant jerk. Um, he seemed like he was very disturbed. He seemed that he, like, he, like, money and fame isn't everything, my friend. Like, it's just not. And it seemed that he, um, he was the poster boy for Hillsong in North America and uh, he had all those fame and success. And, um, and in my opinion, yes, you know, he should have stepped down because of his um, unfaithfulness in his marriage, but there was a lot of other things that went along with that. And I think that uh, I think honestly, uh, Brian Houston made him the scapegoat, mm. you know, and I think like, it didn't help what he did, right? Obviously, I don't condone or, you know, think what he did was right in any way, shape, or form. But, like, when it comes to the perspective of Hillsong at large, I think that rather than and dealing with him or helping him getting help or whatever, like, uh, Brian was dealing with his own problems with, with Hillsong at large. And so when all the stuff went down with Carl, I think that uh, Carl became the scapegoat. And they kind of shifted the attention to him when Brian was going through a lot of his own issues mm-hmm. and it kind of just deterred that. Did you get that too? Did you feel like that as well? Uh, you know, I, in the first step, like, I mean, I guess like I kind of saw that like in later episodes and I think in the first episode, you kind of got this, I, I kind of got this impression that, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. Like Brian was annoyed with him. Yeah. And, and, but then the problem, yeah, it almost seemed like he's annoyed with him. Like there's a definitely conflict between Carl and Brian. Like, but at the same time, Brian's the guy who hired him to do this. So that's the thing that I don't understand. Like, that's that's the thing that I think is weird because it's like I think this guy would be great and he would be good at connecting and expanding the churches in North America. But this guy has tattoos. And I mean, that was the thing, like when they were on what was it, like some type of like some type of television show and it's Brian like good morning and, America uh, or, it was almost like a, or something. Yeah. I think it was like a, almost like a good morning America. It was a morning talk show and they're sitting there and Brian goes like, yeah, I just don't like the tattoos. It's like, Oh, you don't like tattoos? I was, no, no, they're okay. And then you just see Carl kind of like, well, thanks. You know, thanks for bringing that up or whatnot. And he was just like cringy and uncomfortable. It's like, you could definitely tell. I don't think they really well, liked each other, but at the same time, Carl was building something over in America and it kind of fulfilled the whole church. I see motif. So Brian's like, yeah, I don't like the guy, but Hey, he's successful. He's so gr- we're just going to let it ride. And he's growing my church. Yeah. He's growing my church. Yeah. Growing my church. That's the key word. Growing right. my church. Well, <laughs> the church that so I like, see, <laughs> you know, we've exactly. Um, it's like, you know, he was narcissism was a, is a word that was brought up a lot. And I think oh, yeah. that, um, this isn't the episode we've talked in other episodes about this, but like in my own experience, like I've been a part of teams, staff teams that like, um, 
the lead pastor wants to hire somebody. And then as soon as that person came in, they hired them because they were younger. They, you know, could really grow a ministry, um, had a lot of energy. And as soon as that person would come in and start changing things, that lead pastor just didn't like it. And it, you know, the staff suffered as a result and all the staff became scapegoats in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, <laughs> it, yeah. It, it was, it was all too familiar, right? When I, you know, we talked about at the top of this episode, um, how sobering it was. Um, I watched maybe the first 15, 20 minutes of this and I cried. I cried a lot mm. during the first couple of minutes of this episode or the first episode of the documentary. And, um, because I lived through some of that stuff, like on a much smaller scale than Hillsong, but like it was very um, surreal because that stuff does happen and yeah. it's not okay. And it's not the church, not the the church I know, know and not to, uh, the Jesus I love. Like if we're supposed to be like Jesus, that's nothing like Jesus. And like what kind of uh, narcissist, I mean, this is rhetorical, but what kind of narcissist would hire somebody to work and basically be your, your North American pastor and kind of try to quote unquote conquer heaven on earth uh, in North America with Hillsong and not even like the guy. The answer to that question, Scott, is a narcissist. Oh, yeah. So and, and, like, and, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, but uh, there was something like in the um, Mars Hill Christianity Today podcast series where I think it might have been Paul David Tripp or something when he was talking. He said, you know, most churches would rather hire a narcissist than an actual pastor. And I think a lot of that has to go because when you think about and I think it's a conversation we've had, you know, just not even on a podcast where it's like, you know, you can't hire a pastor the same way you hire CEO of a company. And mm -hmm. if you're building a brand and you're building like this empire, even if regardless if it's a church or not, if you decide to go and hire people, that's more of a fortune five country fortune 500 company, then you're kind of thinking, okay, well, I'm going to hire a guy who is a go-getter, someone who's going to be, you know, bold and take things off and has a certain look and has a certain attractiveness to it. And frankly, you know, I'm going to hire a guy who fits that role, which is usually a role of a narcissist, someone who, has that kind of demeanor, has that type of personality and has that type of look. Well, and, and too, like they showed like B-roll footage of him, like walking into Hillsong, New York, Carlin's. And um, like, it was very much a rock star mentality. You get out of the oh, car, yeah. you walk into the building, you preach, you walk out, you get you in the car, the you place. leave. And it's yeah. like, how can you have relationships with people? And the answer is he didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and he just siloed himself. And that's not okay either. Yeah, um, absolutely. Recently, so I work at Miami University in in Oxford, Ohio. Um, it's my secular job, and we're uh, the university is going through a transition right now where the provost just resigned. Um, and without going into great detail, some of the people that I've talked to said that he, you know, siloed himself, and he's in one of these huge leadership roles. And if you put him in a room full of people. Nobody would know who he is because he wasn't out there shaking people's hands. He wasn't mm. out there talking to people. He wasn't building those relationships. And the same kind of goes to what we're talking about with Carl Wentz. You know, how, how do you um, build those relationships? Which, is, which also is just fascinating to me. Like, how, how, did, how did that church grow 
if he didn't have those relationships with the pastor. Yeah, and, and we'll kind of and we'll we'll dive right into that question, kind of chip that away. Um, one of the things that I thought was fascinating about the whole culture of Hillsong was from their branding to, you know, you belong or we accept everybody or all are welcome, like those kind of those big things. And what, welcome, things home, that, welcome home, I think. Welcome home. And, and even like hearing people who attended there, they're like, you know, sometimes I could go to church and I would see diversity on the stage. I would see white, black, Latina, Asian people up on the stage. So I could go and during a worship set, I can, you know, I guess we call it self-identify with whoever was up on stage. So you kind of, and even when around the crowd, when you have a more diversity of crowd, young people of different colors, of different cultures. And so you see this culture of like, wow, this is great. This is an exciting place to be. But then you also have people saying, well, you know, they walk away when they finally left the church. They were feeling very low. Some of them were feeling very suicidal. And, and yet we also had people who attended a church, even though they knew Hillsong's teachings, which was basically purity before male, uh, marriage, and they were anti-LBGT. And it's like, but we went there anyway. like because it was the happening place. It was a place where we felt like we could serve our community and serve each other as with other young people my age. So when I look at that question, how does a culture like that work? Because it almost sounds like on the surface, this is exactly what the gospel teaches. All are welcome. Everybody can come to Jesus. Everybody can be transformed. And yet we have other people going, I disagree with this church but I'm still going to attend or I left this church and now I feel so low and feel like that I was an issue or I was a problem at the church. I mean, I, it, it's weird. It's a weird culture to be a part of. And I can't really understand that culture at all sometimes. Well, the, it was fascinating to me that, you know, they, that was very much their, I guess the right word is model for that. Yeah. Um, like, but then they shame people, right? And like the one, the the girl that was, uh, the, I'm not sure if that was in episode one or not, but yeah, no, the, there, uh, there's the, there's there's a girl who talks about that. I think that's episode three where she talks a little bit about Carl Lenz and her interactions and stuff. Um, well, yeah, like I know, the whole sex before marriage with her boyfriend, oh, yeah. and then they went back they went backstage like kind of as a, as a response time or, or, you know, invitation, altar call, whatever you want to call it. And they basically shamed them. And, um, and it was like on, on the, well, right. Like if you have the surface, if this is the surface of Hillsong and they're, they're all about diversity and inclusion and you look on the stage and you have different people and different races and different genders and different this and that and the other, and it looks great on the surface, but then you get down beneath the surface and, you know, people are being shamed for doing this and that and the other. And even like to take it a step further in the whole like Hillsong College conversation, like <laughs> the the girls, uh, uh, the, the one girl that was like, she couldn't even, uh, she was sexually assaulted and, and to, to no fault of her own, you know, they, they still held it over her head. Oh yeah. Even they said it wasn't a big deal. It was very manipulative. Like so, like on the very like on the surface, as we're talking about, they were like saying, "Hey, this is what we're doing. This is our vision. This is who we are as a church." But then 
you you peel that layer back a little bit, you peel that curtain back a little bit, and you go into it, and it's like, mm, probably not. You yeah, know, like even, this. Yeah, it's 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 so bizarre, Scott. Like they, like they, well, that's they seem to be accepting and they seem to be welcoming, and then they peel that that curtain back, and they they it's almost like they ring you in, they pull you in, and then as soon as they got you in and they got you hooked, then they're like, nope. By the way, this is yeah. this is what we really believe, and this is what we really. I uh, think about people that, you know, have had sex before marriage that, um, you know, having, you know, or living together before they're married uh, that, mm-hmm. you know, are LGBTQ, whatever, um, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's super, it's, it's so weird, right? It like, is. It's, well, because well, I've never heard like, of anything like it. Well, yeah, because you're bringing up good points that came from, from the later episodes, but I mean, but I mean, just in the context of the first episode, it's like, even there was a, a comment that was made like, well, when you're not really addressing sin from the pulpit or the stage, when you're not really mm-hmm. talking about it and everyone can come and as they are, then where, where's the growth? Where's the transformation? And, well, I, think, and, but I, then, and I think that's, and I think that's a valid point. Cause then when we get to later, if you are not addressing these issues and then next, thing you know, someone comes down and they go, Oh yeah. You know, I have a drug problem. And they're like, okay, well, we'll pray your drug problem. But then when you find out like, oh, this is a volunteer or this is a worker, well, now you're, you're not allowed to do this. And, and, and they make them feel guilty about everything. And I think, you know, that, I think that was the thing later with the one girl with her boyfriend and stuff like, you know, they felt they're made felt guilty. So then they kind of had to separate and they're like, you know, you have to separate, you have to break up, you have to do all this. Well, the next yeah, what know, was with that? That was weird. That didn't make any sense. But we'll 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 definitely dive into that <laughs> in our next episode. But then when they but then they got back together, they hooked up again. And then next time they're like, well, we're not saying anything to anybody now because they didn't want to have to go through that guilt and shame again, which is didn't they end up married and then divorced later? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They have to go get married because they thought, well, hey, if we're married, then we don't have to feel the guilt and shame. And then they end up getting divorced later. And it's like, wow, you know, that's so it is, it's a very weird church model and it's a very weird culture. Cause it's almost like, Oh, uh, I would say it's kind of like, um, and I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's uh, called a uh, Mulholland drive by David Lynch, where mm-hmm. the first half of the movie, it's like this young actress who's played by Naomi Watts goes to Hollywood and she's starstruck and she's getting these roles and everything. And then next thing you know, you kind of see this switch and you kind of see the underbelly of everything. And you're just like, oh, and it's a very confusing movie, but I feel like that's the only way I can use that example to make sense of this culture at Hillsong. Cause it's like at the first you get starstruck. There's all these people that you have a great music program. You have young people, you have a very charismatic, uh, good looking pastor who's funny and goofy and, and kind of makes fun of himself and, and, and very, and you kind of connect with, with him and you kind of identify with him in certain ways to then when you're there for a good period of time, then you start to kind of see the ugliness side of it, where you start to see the guilt and the shame and the, and the hypocrisy of everything. And you're just like, Oh, how did I even get into this culture? But you do, you get sucked in and then you get in there. And then once you are like, Oh, this is toxic. I got to leave. And then you leave. And then when you leave, it's almost like you have been excommunicated. You have been shunned. You have been shamed. And then you feel lower. You felt low being in that culture. And then you feel even lower when you leave. So you're just kind of, it, it is, it's very, it's a, such a strange culture. Well, and like, I think if, if, 
anything, this 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 documentary has taught me the importance of of how sacred scripture is and how sacred calling is, how sacred being a pastor is, mm-hmm. and how careful we need to be with all of those things I just mentioned, um, and communicating with people. Um, and being solid with our relationship with, with Jesus, being solid in our relationship with community, um, our spouses, our families, um, because uh, we're, we're constantly like having to look over our shoulder as it is. And if we don't, you know, if we're not careful, that stuff could happen to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to kind of talk a little bit about more of the culture of Hillsong one of the big things and we've already talked about it ahead is that they were very good at doing things very corporately and was very good at branding itself and a lot of it had to do with the Hillsong band or Hillsong music um, which basically because the music was getting so big that's when the church changed its name to Hillsong than whatever it was and just the connection to worship music and the selling of the CDs and the licensing of their music to other churches to play at the CCLI stuff, you know, we see like, you know, millions and millions of dollars are coming in to Hillsong. So there's, so throughout this episode, there's a couple things that I pulled away from this was Hillsong kind of riding on the coattails of Hillsong music. Was this eventually it led to their rise, but there was it also the start for their downfall as well. And another thing is with you look at how mainstream Hillsong music, how it sounds very much like the music that we would listen to today that's being pushed out today. Does Hillsong music can does it cause spiritual manipulation? Um <laughs> So I I want to ask a question with a question. Okay, go answer ahead. your question with a question and then answer your question. Um, <clears throat> do you think how, after watching this, how, because early on, you know, I know we're talking about episode one today, but like early on in the documentary, they really kind of talked about how worship got Hillsong to the dance and worship really kind of helped Hillsong grow. If I'm personally personally speaking, I have listened to Brian Houston speak. I don't think he's that great of a communicator. I, and I honestly don't know how, how like if, if it wasn't for Hillsong worship, I don't know that they would have grew as, as big as they mm. were, or as big as they are. Um, and as somebody who watches a lot of different churches, bigger churches online, different uh, services, like, you know, I feel like Elevation Church has Stephen Furtick and they have Elevation Worship and they're both good. I feel like Bethel Church, I feel like Bethel Worship is fantastic, but I'm not like huge on uh, their teaching. Mm-hmm. Some of it's good. Some of it's just okay. Um, and then with Hillsong, like Hillsong, like their worship has always been great, but like, I'm not a huge, like, I just have never really got into their teaching either. So like, I guess my question uh, to answer your question before answering your question, did you follow that? Um, <laughs> is that, you know, do you think that in light of everything that's happened in this documentary and as a church that Hillsong worship has kind of distanced themselves from the overall uh, 
struggles and the problems that the church at large has been facing? Because you don't, after they did that initial push in the documentary, they didn't really say much more about song worship. They just said, yeah. hey, shout to the Lord, Darlene Sheck. We got in, we got the, you know, they got us to the dance. Like everything is going great. They sold even, $15 yeah. million dollars in records, or, or I'm sorry, 15 million records and 100 million. They make $100 million net profit every year in record sales. And like, you don't hear much more about it, but like, you got to think of it, Scott, like they've got Hillsong College, but they've also got different iterations of Hillsong worship. They've got Hillsong Young and Free. They've got Hillsong United. They've got Hillsong Kids. They've got Hillsong yeah. uh, Worship. And like, there's all these different groups and like subgroups of, of Hillsong where they've just multiplied and, and they do, they all write their own music and they all write their own stuff and they all toured on, you know, they, they tour with different groups and different musicians. Um, and so do you think a, that they've kind of distanced themselves from the overall problem and they're still making music and like, like, uh, at the end of the documentary in episode three, they, you know, it spoiler alert, Brian Houston resigns, mm -hmm. um, as global pastor, but like a couple of weeks ago, right before Easter, Hillsong United released a new album. Yeah. Like it just seems like they've kept on going regardless of what's going on in the church. It's, 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 yeah, I, I think it's fascinating. And I think, and, then, I, it, and then I'll answer your question once you give me your thoughts. Yeah. So here's the thing I think, cause one of the things they talked about Hillsong music is that it also kind of changed the way we, we see worship music now. If it wasn't for Hillsong, we wouldn't be having your Bethel music or your Elevation music. You you wouldn't have people like David Crowder or or even like Shane and Shane or even like a, a Corey Asb Asbury or or Asby or I I forget how to say Asbury yeah <laughs> Asbury okay I was right the first time um, you know I think when you look at how worship is gone. I think Hillsong kind of moved in the right direction. Cause again, before Hillsong, I mean, you could listen to something like, I don't know, you could listen to something like a Celine Dion on the radio. And then you can listen to, I don't know, a point of grace. And you could just tell the quality was not there. I mean, I think Amy Grant was kind of the closest of having like a very good quality sound, but I think a lot of time is she jumped ship to kind of be on a more of a secular label, even though she was still, you know, a Christian and putting out like Christian music, you know, even though you're singing about paradise in a parking lot. Um, so, well, I think in some ways I don't, I, so I think in some ways, as far as the music aspect goes, I think it's its own separate entity. And I think yeah. the church kind of wrote on the, that's why I said that the church wrote on its coattails, which is why when everything went down with Brian Houston, and even now you're kind of seeing some of the churches that are associated with Hillsong kind of saying, you know, we are separating from the Hillsong brand. I know there's a couple of churches in America who have done that and say, we're no longer going to be associated with Hillsong Australia or with the mothership. But I think the music is still going to be kind of coming out and produced, I think, um, because I think it is kind of a separate category. And I think a lot of that has to do with Hillsong's 6C strategies. I think they're all kind of connected, but they're all kind of separate as well. Um, so, yeah, I, as far as, you know, was this the start to the Hillsong Church's downfall? To answer that question, I think my thing is, I think, yeah, because I think, you know, money and power corrupts. If it was just 
the music and you're just doing it for the music to pay the artists, pay the musicians, to pay the tech people, to pay the lighting guy, to pay the, the roadies, to pay the songwriters. And all that funds kind of helped fund the music and some of it wasn't going to help fund the church. And again, we don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not looking at the books of ill song. So I don't know how everything was connected, but it really was very evident that Hillsong church rode the coattails of Hillsong worship. Yeah. And, and I think that's why, and I think that's why in the documentary, when we look at the other episodes, we don't really talk too much about the music. We really focus more on the, uh, we focus more on the church. We focus more on kind of the college, you know, those, those two things are kind of the, on the, bigger, on the good things. Yeah. All, yeah. Those are the big things that we focus on. Maybe even kind of focus on the conferences as well. Um, yeah. Well, to go back to your question about like, um, was it the start of the downfall? I don't think it was. I think more of the scandals with preaching, teaching pastors such as Carl Lentz and Brian Houston, those things really just caught up with them. And because they're such large, larger than life figures, if you will, they're more seen and more known. And so I think that um, it was more on the teaching pastors such as Carl and Brian that really um, hurt and was the start of the downfall of Hillsong Church, in my opinion. Um, does the music the other question you asked was, does the music cause spiritual manipulation? I don't think so. Um, as a musician and as a worship leader, like, I think that like, it all comes down to what you believe. And, you know, I was sitting there and I'm, I was listening to that um, in episode one and it was like, you know, I can lead worship on a Sunday and I can play a certain song and I could play that song three Sundays in a row and a different person have a reaction to that every single week. Um, and mm -hmm. so, you know, the, the idea of spiritual manipulation, like I, I don't think so. Uh, yeah. it's it just, it, it's kind of a, there's a fine line. We talked about fine, the, the term fine line in this episode a couple of times, but like, I think there's a fine line in like, um, you know, I think if you're caught up in the in the Hillsong culture, then it can be. But I think if you're like average Joe, Pastor Joe at a church being the worship leader, like I don't think you're doing that to cause um, manipulation. And also, I think it's fascinating that, you know, Hillsong's written enough songs over the years that like you could probably go to 50 churches 50 weeks in a row and they probably play one or two Hillsong songs and every different church too. Right. Like yeah. I could probably pull up five live streams yesterday and like, you know, somebody's singing mighty to save or shout to the Lord or the stand or, ocean, or did grace or, or scandal of grace or ocean or forever <laughs> rain or cornerstone or I surrender. Like those are yeah. all, all songs. Like, I pulled up Hillsong Worship on on my Spotify while we're talking. What a beautiful name. Who you say I am. Yeah. King of Kings. Um, no other name. Like, there is just so many. Mm -hmm. um, Dawn, Awake My Soul, Come Alive. Uh, Christ is Enough. This I Believe. New Wine, Broken Vessels. 
Um, yeah. Oh, praise the name. So will I. Like there yeah. are so many songs that Hillsong has yeah. produced over the years it, that like it's not uncommon. It, it's and it's funny because I know some people say, "Oh, well, we should go back to the hymns." Well, I mean, I've, if you were to look at like a current hymn book now, like if you happen to get like one that was published, like I know sometimes they publish them like every five or ten years. Well, I'm sure you could probably walk in one, and you, I bet you you could probably find like "Shout to the Lord" in the hymnal now because it's Do so. You, um. Scott, to kind of follow up with your question yeah. about, do you think music causes spiritual spiritual manipulation? Are you referencing the what they talked about in the documentary exclusively, or do you think like with what I just talked about, like in the the average church in North America, for example, they're playing at least one Hillsong song a week, and it's like, is that part of their global brand and their global expansion to get into every church? all over the place do you think that's so i think by manipulation i think it has to do with more of the emotional component necessarily than the branding right i just thought about that as we were talking yeah well i mean i think that's a good point i think for me just from based on the documentary and kind of where they're going with it it's like well you know if you hit these certain chords a certain way and you do this stuff that you can really get people to move and do things and i don't think it's manipulation because like for an example uh back in march we had our state youth convention and we, for the last three years, we had a touring band come and uh, they're great. They're a great band. They, but when, when they play, they have the lights, they have the sound They're Again, they're a professional band. So it's going to sound very high. It's going to be very high level of performance that they're doing. So then to save money, it was basically the worship band was me, a guy that a guy on drums that someone knew that I'd never met before. And then a buddy of mine from Marengo, who I happened to get and his wife came and sing. So three of us who have never played with each other at all, or, or at least with me and Michael, haven't played in years, basically got together and led worship for this conference. So you go from high professional quality to having no lights not even a good sound system. It is just the three of us who's never played with each other before. And yet out of all the years that I've been at convention, which I've been to probably like three or four of them, this one, this last one, I felt there was more of a movement and more response from the attendees to the way we led worship than Alan Scott did. And Alan Scott's not a bad band. He's a great worship leader. He has a great story. They're very successful. And I think a lot of it is, and I don't want to say any of that was manipulation on our part. Like, oh, we were manipulating people to move a certain way. I think a lot of it just had to do with the culture. And I think a lot of it had to do with how we presented things. Like when we would play a Corey Carnes, Christ Be Magnified, man, the response we get from that. Were we... Was I being manipulative? Was Michael being manipulative? No, we weren't being manipulative at all. We're just here. We're playing the music that's written and Michael singing. And that was it. Like we weren't doing anything wrong. When I think about music, music does something to us, which kind of lowers our defenses. I think sometimes, especially playing in camps, I believe that there is an emotional component and music can kind of help lower the walls so that when the, person who is speaking on stage is presenting the gospel or presenting whatever message, I think it makes people respond to it. So I don't think the music causes the spiritual manipulation. I think music lowers the defenses. So then whoever is on stage and whatever they're proclaiming 
can cause the manipulation. If I'm playing, if I'm playing music and our defenses get low and the pastor is preaching from the gospel and he's talking about repentance and talking about Jesus and everything else, and people start coming down to the altars because they want to get saved because they feel convicted about something. That's great. But if someone is using the twisting the word of God and using it to promote their brand, their own image to put themselves on a pedestal, like there's that one little quote that um, Carl Wentz said, where it was like, you know, sheep don't need this sheep need a shepherd. Well, who's the shepherd? Are we talking about big S shepherd or are we talking about little S shepherd? Is did, did we get to a point where in that message, it wasn't focusing like sheep need Jesus, but sheep need, or you guys need me. You need me to feed you. You need me to guide you. And I think that's where the manipulation comes in. I don't necessarily think it's the music. I think more it is the, when the defenses are lowered, what is now being inserted through those gates, what's being inserted through those lowered walls after the music has been, has kind of lowered those things. Does that make sense? You're muted, Micah. Wow. Um, I was coughing and I didn't want to cough into the, into the audio. <laughs> That's okay. So, um, and then I forgot to unmute it. Yeah, it does make sense. Totally makes sense. Um, yeah. I, I'm doing a lot better than I thought I would with this episode, but I really struggled when I watched it. So okay, yeah. um, when I watched the documentary, I was like, man, this is, it hits close to home. And and the re the sad reality is it's not just Hillsong, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and Hillsong, I don't know, quote unquote, got caught because they're a bigger church and they're more exposed, mm -hmm. no pun intended, right? Because that's what the, the documentary yeah. was called, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, as a worship leader, I've had these moments in, in my own ministry and life where um, I told somebody yesterday at a church that I was playing at that, you know, it. There are some Sundays where the spirit of God is really moving and um, people are really invested in that moment and uh, they've come to worship the God that they love and the God who saves us and the God who um, inspires us to be better. But then there are some weeks, Scott, where uh, being a worship leader is not very easy and it's like stirring concrete and the spirit isn't really moving. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Totally makes sense. It's just, we keep using the word fascinating a lot, but this whole story <laughs> is just, it's very fascinating and it's very eye-opening for, for churches to really take a look at themselves just to make sure they're okay. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of falling into this whole music thing, there was a, a one of the, a former, a former volunteer at Hillsong kind of said, well, Hillsong had a six C strategy. And he says, you know, first there's a the mm -hmm. church, then there was the concerts. Then there was the music, but he said CD just to kind of keep the continuity. Then there was the Hillsong College. Then there was the cinema, which would be like their media, uh, Hillsong Media. And then they had their conferences. So what were some of your thoughts on the 6C strategy as far as how they were trying to fulfill this global expansion dream that Brian had? Planning churches, having concerts, selling of music, having a leadership college or a worship college putting out great media, having a good production, 
And then also having these conferences that people can go to. And I know one guy, he said, you know, I've been to these conferences, which, you know, I pay, you know, almost $500. Oh, he paid a ton of money. I paid $500 to come to this conference and then I'm buying material. And then that's also including tithing. So by the end of the conference, I've already spent over a thousand dollars and I'm like, boom, mind blown. Like, how do you spend, if I'm spending money on a ticket to go there and I'm spending money on buying like curriculum or any type of teachings, there's no way I'm tithing at this conference. Like you're already taking so much money. Like I, I, uh, like that's, that's my reaction. It's like my brain and my heart doesn't work when I think about just a conference. Cause I mean, I've been to some conferences, some leadership conferences and literally I pay for my hotel. I pay for me to go to conference. And sometimes if there's some books I want to buy, I can, or anything, if I think it's interesting, I'll get it. But for the most part, I've never been to a leadership conference where they've asked me for money, where they asked me to tithe or do something because they pretty much figured I'm already tithing by coming to paying for the come to this event and buying whatever their CDs or their books or their curriculum, whatever, that that's kind of what I'm already doing. So I, I, I was flabbergasted. So in some ways, I find that, man they really know how to work the money train to kind of support well, their cases. brand and support their mission. On the second side, I, I like the strategy in some ways because it goes beyond just your typical church structure. Mm-hmm. If I, if I want to get my name out there, if I want to let people know what my church is all about, if I have a good worship team, yeah, maybe I should host a couple concerts or put them out in the park and have them do like perform for a worship thing at a park thing. You know, if maybe I may not do a college, but hey, it might be good to occasionally once a month or maybe twice a month or maybe like once every two months do a conference on something, do a conference on like parenting or a conference on marriage or a conference on financial stability. You know, I think when you do, when you start doing some of these things, it kind of breaks your traditional church norm, which is you come Sunday, you maybe come during a weekly thing, and then you show up to a church event that happens occasionally, like maybe six times out of a year. So in some ways, I like the strategy, but I also feel like I can see how you could really milk people for their finances to not only do expansion, but also to um, kind of put stuff in your own pockets as well. Well, and I think Scott, like I was thinking of like when you were speaking just a minute ago, like I think I've been to conferences and things like that, like, or, or, or worship retreats or, or whatever, like you name it. Right. And I've been to um, things like this and they, they, they may take an offering, but it, it won't go to their church. It goes to some sort of ministry like world vision or it goes yeah. to something like uh, feeding a third world country or, you know, adopting or like operation Christmas child's a big one, something like that, where it doesn't go to a church per se, but it goes to a ministry somewhere out the, around the world. that's like a mission or, or something like that, that, but I've never, like you said, I've never heard of a, a church saying, Hey, we're going to take an offering for our church after spending money on tickets for your church. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, it makes you wonder about like other churches and how they do things. 
like I know Elevation Church is on tour right now mm-hmm. and they do like their main worship group tours and they lead worship in different venues and then Pastor Stephen Furtick preaches a message and um, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder how they handle it as opposed to like how Hillsong did or does. Yeah, that's that's a very good question because actually I knew a couple people knew a couple people who went to the Elevation Worship in Columbus over this past weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I don't I don't know. Like I think the strategy is good, but you I I think with everything you could really Yeah, it's I think the strategy is good and I think that's how they got very successful. Um at the same time, you could really see how it could get exposed depending on, and I think a lot of it depends on how are they offsetting, how are they offsetting the funds? Like, is it kind of like, oh, if I'm paying the, if I'm going to go to Hillsong College, my money's going to go to room and board and the pray, and not the pray, but the p- p- pay for the professor's salary and the administrators that work there. And then maybe like, a tithe of it, like a 10th of it does go to the Hillsong mothership, you know? Um, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not too sure, but again, if you're having concerts and churches and colleges and cinema and music sales, and even if you're just taking a 10th of all those things and it's going to Hillsong worldwide, that's still going to be Big chunk a of lot money. of money. That's still going to be a ton of money that's going there. Um, speaking of money, everybody's favorite topic in churches. Oh yeah. Well, I think this is a a very, I think I'm more kind of interested in this topic, anything else, but one of the things we do see, we get to see Ben Kirby, who is the creator and, um, author of preacher and sneakers who as a joke, just started posting pictures of like pastors wearing like the high quality high end streetwear and posting like Here's, you know, here's TD Jakes wearing this suit and here's how much it actually costs, which is like, you know, 10 grand or whatnot. Um, and you see these pastors or these ministers wearing these expensive shoes or expensive hat or expensive clothing. Um, so I guess the question is, is, do pastors have the right to spend the money they get how they see fit? Or is there a sense of accountability on what a pastor can wear or cannot? Um I'll I'll go ahead and answer this question first. <laughs> I, it's very interesting. When I was talking to, oh goodness, I can remember. And again, for those of you who are not pastors or don't know how it is, a lot of churches, normal, I guess we'll say normal, small church, medium-sized churches, what they do is they will give a certain like financial package to a pastor. And let's just say, you know, let's just say it's going to be like 40 grand. So within that 40 grand a year, a pastor has to figure out, okay, how much of this 40 grand is going to be taxable income? How much of this is going to go to any housing expenses? How much of this is going to go to my insurance? Because they're, because again, it's being a pastor is weird because you're a, technically you're a self-employed your, your, your tax as a self-employed uh, worker, but at the same time, you have a bunch of religious exemptions too. So it's a very wonky, weird thing to be in ministry and have to navigate all this. So I can remember one time having a conversation with my dad about, you know, money and everything else and how to use it now, this and my dad even said, you know, 
you could take technically you could take if you're getting paid like 40 grand and you want to go and spend almost all of it on buying a brand new yacht or buying a tesla you have every right to do it it's it's the money that the church is paying you it is your salary at the same time you also have to and then if your family starves then you know that's okay because it's whatever you want to do with it at the same time you also have to know that there's going to be a certain outcome or a certain look that comes with it too, that people will start assuming. Cause you know, when church people see that, you know, they're going to question everything that a pastor's spending. So if you're wearing a $800 Rolex, someone's going to see it and someone's probably going to make a comment about it. Why am I paying for pastor's Rolex? You know? mm. um, and I, and I had an issue with that. Cause I know there's a time where, we sent my son to a private school and we had a discount because my wife was working there. And basically any money that I was making as a pastor never went, not a single dime went to my son's tuition to go to the school. And yet there were people in the church who were grumbling and complaining, asking the question, well, how come we're paying for Peter's private education? And they had no clue that it wasn't. And so for me, I'm, I'm torn on this because I think if you are, if you're working within your salary, and again, I don't know how much Carl Wentz was making as a pastor, but let's just say for some reason, Carl Wentz was getting paid $300,000 a year to be a, to be the global pastor of North America and traveling and speaking at five different North American churches then if he wants to buy a $15,000 hoodie, a Supreme hoodie, then that's his own business. At the same yeah. time, I also see if he's abusing that, then I think there has to be a sense of accountability too. If there was abusement of funds or embezzling or anything like that. But if he's working with inside Hillsong's budget that they give him, then he could do whatever he wants. If he wants to live in a house by the ocean, he can do that. If he wants to live in a shack in the slums of New York, he could do it. that too. Like, so I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm more. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think. I agree that you can, if this is the salary you're getting paid, live within, like, I'm a big proponent of living within your means because I've always, you know, been in situations in ministry where, actually, I've been in both. One where, like, like you don't have any money or you don't really have a budget um, and you kind of just have to make it work. And then I've been in places where it's like, all right, go for it and basically spend whatever you want. But in the case of being like, you know, super elaborate with your money and um, there, I think there's a fine line where you can, you know, buy what you need and not show off at the same time. Um, I don't know that you should make that much money and be that, you know, flashy with it. Uh, you know, I'm not, 
even if I made that much money, like I don't think I would go out and buy a $700 pair of shoes because like, I don't think that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it goes, I think it goes hand in hand with the word fame. Like these guys hit fame and uh, you know, every week you gotta look cool. You gotta, you gotta look different. You gotta have the newest, freshest, coolest looking thing. And it's, um, it's evident uh on 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 their streams on their videos it's evident on you know in their in-person thingies when people are doing that and it's like um yeah i don't know scott that's just that's a tough one because well, like it's like first of all like i don't know if they should be making that much money well but i find yeah and i think i find it funny because when you you brought up a good point about well is it does it have to do with that appearance and that look and having that look being a pastor of a worldwide brand like Hillsong. Cause I mean, it wasn't just Carl Wentz like being dressed to the nines and stuff. I mean, they even showed Brian Houston wearing like, like shoes that were worth like 600 bucks. Well, in and, one of the video or one of the episodes, they talk about how Brian was a millionaire, like several times over. And so like, yeah, and, and I think, and I think that's, and I, and I don't know. I think it might have to just be kind of how much money changes you. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, my, I grew up poor, and my family grew up poor. My dad worked his butt off, worked three jobs to get his thing, and now, like, my dad, you know, they don't have to worry about money anymore. He works for a great company, um, and and and. And I think one of but one of the things I find it so fascinating is never once do does he always throw his money around like this guy will go to work in sandals that are falling apart. Same thing like I have a drawer I have to go through because I have a drawer of T-shirts that I've wore since like Anderson, which was 2002 (laughs) that I still wear. Like, let's see, this shirt's from like 2015. This shirt's almost going to be 10 years old and I'm still wearing it because there's no holes in it. And it fits and I like it. Uh, so it's not like I'm trying to buy the newest clothes. And even when I go shopping for clothes, I'm definitely using every Kohl's discount, 30, 40% off coupon that I have to get a pair of pants for that's like 30 bucks marked down to like $10 because I don't want to pay 30 bucks for a pair of pants. <laughs> and so I think a lot of it, it just depends on your personality and your demeanor. And, you know, I may not be spending lots of money on clothes, but, you know, I will probably pay a little extra to get a more of a high end, like, like a spoon, like a serving spoon, because I don't want it to melt or I don't want it to break after I've used it for like six months. So I think it's weird on how people spend their money and, and whatever. Like, I mean, I'm looking at cars and it's like, well, what type of car we get? I'm not going to buy like the, a newer car. I'm looking at probably basically looking with something under a hundred thousand miles. So it can last me a little bit longer since our other one's about to die. And it's just like, I, I couldn't see myself buying a brand new car. I couldn't see myself buying a convertible or a brand new Tesla. I mean, there's a Tesla on the market that's, you know, less than 20 grand. I might buy one, but for the most part, I'm not paying full Tesla prices just because I want to have a Tesla. Like, right. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. I, I don't get that. Um, it's, yeah, I think it's fascinating. Like, it's, it's just like, you know, and, and, I, and I see why on the other side of that, why people would get so upset because it's like, 
if you're rolling around in $600 sneakers and a $500 hoodie and, you know, let's just say your outfit for the the Sunday is $2,000. Um, think of what impact that could, could, could do for the kingdom of God. And, you know, where are your priorities? Can you, can you live this lavish lifestyle, pay for these lavish, you know, lavished clothes um, that you're wearing and the, the product that you have and the brand that you become, or can you go provide water for a third world country that doesn't have clean water? You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I just think it's, it's very like, I can see why people get upset. Yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's kind of frustrating. Cause like, I know like to your, your point, Scott, like I've never, I didn't grow up in a, in a, in a home that had money. Um, and you know, even now as an adult, I feel like I'm financially okay. You know, we pay our bills, we have money in the bank. Um, we can live within our means. We have a nice house. We have everything that we could need or want. And, but we don't live crazy lifestyles and we don't like, like you said, Scott, like you have shirts that are like 15 years old. Like I remember a couple months ago, like I needed like, I don't know, a pair of dress pants or something. And my wife's like, go buy some. And like, she had to make me, even though we had the money and it was okay. Like, yeah. So, and it's like, I think pastors too, like if we could take a step further, I think pastors are like so bent on having the coolest trend and being the coolest thing because they think that's going to make their church grow. Mm-hmm. Like just because I wear a jean jacket and skinny jeans doesn't mean I'm going to like, my church isn't going to grow to like 5,000 people. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just crazy. Like people should want to be a part of something because it's genuine and authentic, not because you're the latest fashion trend. Yeah. And, and I think that goes back to my next question is how did the celebrity attraction help or hurt the Hillsong church image? I mean, it seemed like with Carl Wentz being in America and especially his relationship with Justin Bieber and other celebrities that just kind of brought a huge attraction to Hillsong, not only just, you know, exposure to news networks and, and everything else, thought- but then even, but then even you had, you had them like, Oh, there's a, there's now a section where I'm going to church and guess what? There's uh, Kevin Durant worshiping at the church that I go to. <laughs> well, I think it's fascinating that he, as soon as Carl once got in trouble, like they just vanished. I think it's kind oh, of ironic. Absolutely. Like they didn't want their name to be associated with that. Yeah, absolutely. And anytime when anyone, I think there's something recently where someone mentions on the Justin Bieber about, Oh yeah. Hey, do you still hang out with Carl Lentz? He's like, no, like, he's like, Nope, I'm not associated with Carl Lentz. And, and I know even sometimes like there's a lot of people who kind of get associated to Hillsong. Like I think the, the biggest one was um, I think it was Chris Pratt. Someone was associating him with Hillsong and wanted to cancel him from being in the guardians movie. And it's like, and even James Gunn had to come to his defense, like, nope, we're not replacing that star Lord. And I know what you guys are thinking, but nope, he is not associated with that church. And it's like, they have to really like lay the gauntlet down. Um, and I want to know, kind of going back to the previous question, I want to know if you start wearing top tier clothes and you have a certain look and a certain swagger, you know, it's kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Did dressing like a celebrity mean you start attracting celebrities that's going to help you build up the church? Or was it you would 
hanging out with celebrities kind of changed your swagger. So then it's like, well, hey, knowing that Justin Bieber now attends my church and I'm Justin Bieber's pastor. And I and now is that going to bring more people to come to church, hoping that, you know, not to be there to see Jesus, but hoping I want to go to church. So maybe I'll see Justin Bieber there or I'll see uh, Kendall Jenner there or I'll see Drake there. You know, <laughs> and I think even with the celebrity thing, I think kind of why I think it might have heard Hillsong's image is if they're this going back to that thing, all are welcomed or you belong or this is home. And now you're having VIP sections. You're now kind of having more of a, a tiered system and that there's certain terms and conditions where if you are volunteer, you accidentally put someone in a VIP section, you're going to get chewed out. Because, like, we don't put regular people in the VIP section. Like, I think that's a. It's not a good look. No, it's not a good look. It's not a good look at all. And I think it gets to the point where it's like, okay, I think there was someone who mentioned, like, you know, now it's like, oh, the more attractive and popular people are now going up to the front where everyone else is getting the nosebleed section because, you know, you're not a celebrity. You're not a, not a you're not a pro athlete. Like, yeah, I think. I mean, I think in some ways it might have helped a bit because now people want to come to your church. But again, looking at Hillsong's culture and what we talked about earlier in this episode, definitely was not a very Christ-centric culture to begin with. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so. We, I know we talked a little bit about the struggle, but almost like how Brian and Carl hated each other. And you know, we talked a little bit about narcissism. So I don't want to open up that thing, but the, I want to kind of conclude with something that they were saying. They started comparing Carl to a cult leader. That mm-hmm. Carl Lentz was more of a cult leader um, and kind of saw more of Hillsong Church being more of a cult. And even, and even uh, Carl... Even kind of there's even like a soundbite of Carl saying, you know, here's the thing about a cult. Like if you want to leave the church, you're more than helping to leave the church. Um, so. So I guess the big question is, did Carl become a cult leader or kind of be, kind of fulfilled that role or did people have a heightened view of Carl Lentz? I think I think I I think it was more so that people um what was the second phrase you used uh or did people have a heightened a heightened view of carl i think people have more more so had a heightened view of him versus becoming a cult leader because um i think that once everything happened with with him that did like he you know kind of just fell apart right and so i don't think it was more because uh people uh, that's what I'm trying to say. I think that he, I don't think he was a cult leader at all. Mm-hmm. I think people liked him because he was charismatic. Mm-hmm. And I think people wanted to be a part of that church because of his charisma. And like you said, with the celebrity aspect of like, he um, brought a certain level of, I don't know, would you say earlier swagger? <laughs> they yeah. brought a little bit of swagger to the to the game. He brought celebrities into the church, but as soon as it all fell apart, where were they? 
And so, and even the church, didn't that church close like that campus once all that happened? I think so. I don't think it's open. Yeah. So like, as soon as it all happened, like everybody just kind of went, everything went by the wayside and I don't think that it, so, so the long and short of it with your, with your question is I don't think that he was a cult leader. I think people really just kind of wanted to, um, cause people weren't flocking after him even after he's left Hillsong. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, he kind of just disappeared and nobody knows where he is or what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, and I remember, and it, it, that's a weird, cause I think the definition of a cult leader or even a cult changes growing up in the church. I was told that a cult was somebody who was a group that didn't acknowledge Jesus Christ as savior. So yeah. they would say that, you know, the Latter-day Saints would be a cult or the um, seven day Adventist is a cult. Obviously things like, you know, um, you know, your Jim Jones and everything else. Like, yeah, those are cults. But recently I was, I'd say probably a couple of years ago, I happened to run into a podcast where they look at all these different cults and they talk about not only the leader of the cult, but then they talk about, you know, who are the people who join cults and, and, and what's fascinating is they had a criteria with cults and really their criteria was three things. It was, you know, you have a, someone who's very charismatic, um, somebody who, uh, so that's the making of a cult leader, somebody who can get people to, you know, do things. So you can kind of buy into their brand or buy into whatever they're selling. And they're very personable in that way. And then the third thing is, is that the rules and regulations that the cult leader puts on people only goes to those people, but them themselves can kind of no longer don't, don't play by the same rules essentially. Mm -hmm. So I guess if you looked at that definition uh, was Carl very charismatic? Yes. Was Carl somebody who basically could get people to buy into what he's selling and join his church? Absolutely. Uh, did Carl basically put things on, put certain rules and regulations on people that him himself didn't follow? Yeah. So I guess in some ways, you could kind of say like, yeah, he's a cult leader, but I think what makes it different is you could have somebody who could fit that criteria, but I wouldn't necessarily say that's a cult leader. I'd say that's a narcissist because that's still the, that is basically textbook narcissism right there. Yep. And, and, and I mean, I think that's the thing with Hillsong is that when people left Hillsong, yeah, they had every right to leave, but they also felt guilty. And I know some people who left cults, you know, before their tragic demise, um, they kind of felt the same way. They felt low. They felt empty. They felt like that their purpose in their life had no meaning because they were out of whatever bubble that they were in. And I think that was kind of the same thing at the beginning of this episode where people felt like, you know, when I left, I kind of felt low. I almost felt like taking my life. I felt like that I was to blame for everything and it was kind of made like that, that I was to blame. I felt like I lost my entire support system. I lost my community. Well, and um, it's sad too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, just to kind of sum up this first episode, you really kind of got the idea of more of the church culture of Hillsong. 
from kind of its humble beginnings to kind of where it is now. And, and I mean, and it's going to be interesting because even like I said earlier, that there's some churches who are kind of separating from Hillsong. You are separating from the mothership and saying, we're no longer going to have ties uh, to the Houstons and Hillsong anymore because of the scandals and everything else. And they kind of want to separate themselves from that. And I think that's good. I know Mars Hill did the same thing after everything imploded. There's some, some uh, things that kind of, tried to do their own thing. And some of them were very successful and are still in operation to this day. And there's some who weren't successful. So, you know, time will tell how successful some of these churches are since they separated from Hillsong uh, brand from the Hillsong brand, how successful they're going to be, you know, outside of that. Um, But yeah, I think, yeah, I think this was, like you said, you had a hard time watching this episode. It was, it was very difficult to watch. I mean, I think it's more empowering and knowledge and kind of seeing how all the pieces what? fit, but still it's, it was very, a difficult watch. It's only yeah. going to get worse from here. <laughs> yeah. Like this is, this is the bread yeah. of the poop sandwich that I don't want to eat. <laughs> uh, and oh, on that man. note, and on that note, guys, thank you so much for watching, listening to the Scott Seven podcast. We're watching it if you're watching this on YouTube. Guys, thank you so much. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. If you like this, please share it with your friends. Give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you would like to support this podcast, uh, feel free to go to my Ko-Fi account, ko-fi.com slash the Scott Simon podcast. There's a couple of cool tiers for you to uh, donate and kind of help improve the quality of this podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you guys uh, later with another episode. Talk to you later.